Well, thank you very much, Dr. Benson. I appreciate the invitation to come and open the word, and I'm honored to be able to be here with you this morning. Half a day from sunny, warm, sandy island of Guam. Give a shout out to our uh, Guamis that are here this morning. Glad, uh, glad to say hello from, uh, from warm Guam this morning. I uh, left a l- little bit more than 24 hours ago, a couple different plane rides uh, to be here with you this morning, and I'm, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you to the student body for your generosity last year in your giving to Harvest House. I can't thank you enough, and I can't tell you how, how impactful that gift has been in the ministry of Harvest House, but even more to be able to tell people around our island that there's a group of college students in South Carolina that uh, gathered together and sacrificially gave in order to be able to give this gift to Harvest House and the ministry there. And so I want to formally, publicly say thank you to uh, you for your sacrifice and for your uh, for your generosity and giving in that way. I am here this week. Actually, we have a team coming in, in a couple days to do some recruiting for ministry. Uh, actually, I'm here to tell the awesome story of what God is doing in Guam and at Harvest Ministries. Uh, we have currently 36 of our staff that are Bob Jones University graduates, so there's been a long-time partnership between the institution and Harvest Ministries over the years. We have a number of recent grads that are serving there with us. And uh, so I'm here for a couple of days. If you have any interest in, in ministry, uh, for sure we're looking for teachers, but not just that. We've got about 150 staff on our campus and a lot of variety of different kinds of things. If you're not sure what God's planning for your life, but you want to invest it in, pl- in some place that's going to matter and where God is at work, I'd love for you to come and talk with me about some of the opportunities at Harvest. We've got a couple other guys that are going to be here a little bit later this week here on campus, and I hope that you'll reach out to them. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 this morning. Here's the question for the day. What is it that you really want? It's a very important question. Deep down inside of you, what is it it that you want more than anything else? The one thing that you're convinced that if you had that, you could be happy. Some of you will know right away. Some of you, you might have to pry a little bit deeper to get to it, but I guarantee you that you have something. You might be like, well, right now what I really want is I want to pass this exam that I have next hour, and I can't really think about much else. Or I just want to get through this week. i got a bunch of projects coming up. I can just make it through this week. But I know that a lot of you are, you know, if you think about that question, there's a lot heavier stuff for you. You, you know, what I want more than anything else is, is for my family to get along. Every time I go home, I've got this constant conflict, and I feel it even when I'm here at school. I mean, I'd do anything if I could just have one day when I didn't have to worry about my, my mom and dad's marriage or my, my brother back home that's struggling. And why did God put me in this situation? Why did he allow this to happen? My guess is there's somebody here, what you really want, what you crave more than anything else is just to have a few genuine friends. 
You're really concerned about what people think of you. You know, there's this thing that we all have at some level called the need to fit in. And just to be honest with you, it can be particularly challenging in, in our college years. And for some of you, it's because you're having trouble getting friends. And some of you, you have all kinds of friends, but their acceptance and their approval really drives so much of your life. It's very important to you for, about the people that you uh, hang out with, that you hang out with the right people, and you, it's important that you act a certain way and look a certain way. It might be your desire this morning is just relief uh, from the pressures and the stresses of life that you face. Or you might just be saying, I just want to be happy. I just want someone to really care about me. So we have to start off asking the question, what is it that you really want more than anything else? And here's the reason that this question is so important. Because the answer to this question is going to influence the choices that you make in life. Let me tell you what I mean by uh, reading from Luke 12 and verse 15. The Bible says this, And he, Jesus, said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. I want to talk with you this morning about covetousness. And the reason that I want to talk to you about it is because it might be the number one danger zone in your life path in the next 10 years. And right now, you are developing habits and you're developing ways of thinking that are either setting you up for uh, either a very bad journey or a good journey on this road. So let me ask you this. Is it wrong for us to want something? Well, the Bible's answer to that is no. I mean, desire itself is not wrong. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. I mean, the Bible talks about things that we, sh we actually should covet. So desire itself is not wrong. When Jesus says, take heed, look out, be on your guard against all covetousness, it has a little bit more to it in depth than just desiring something. Literally, the, the word, the root word means to pant over, like Stella, our dog, does when I eat popcorn or ice cream. Um, this is Stella. I thought, uh, everybody say, aw. Yeah. I set her up with this picture. Uh, Stella has a problem with covetousness. When I'm eating popcorn, or my wife Faith is eating popcorn, she cannot think about anything else. She won't be distracted by anything else. I can hear in her little doggy voice saying, I want that, I want that, I want that. That is the idea of covetousness. It's panting over something. It indicates an intense desire that won't leave. And it becomes consuming. There's nothing else that I can think about. I want that. I want that. I want that. This is not a technical definition. It's maybe more of like a Walton version, but it's really important. I want to ask you to tune in here for this. 
Covetousness is wanting what God has not chosen to give me, especially when God has chosen to give it to someone else. And listen, let me tell you, this will wreck your joy. Man, it's such an important definition. The foundation for Jesus' teaching comes from the Old Testament. Uh, Covetousness is talked about in the Ten Commandments. At Harvest, we did a fall series on the Ten Commandments. We called it the Ten Foolish Things People Do to Mess Up Their Lives. And commandment number ten on the list of things that will really mess up your life, along with adultery and murder and lying and stealing and idolatry, commandment number ten is covetousness. And God says that this problem will wreck your life and it will steal your joy. That's really interesting to me. And what I like about the 10th commandment is that it goes on to give us a little bit more information. You don't have to turn there, but listen to this. I actually want to talk about this for a couple of minutes. It's sort of our outline this morning. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17 Uh, The Bible says, it's in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. All right, so God, through his uh, prophet Moses, says to the people of Israel in these Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not covet. And then it follows with, I think these are three reasons why God says this is a bad idea for his people. Here's what it says. Let me just kind of list these for you, and then we'll talk about them quickly. Number one, God warns about coveting because it affects my focus. Number two, God warns about coveting because it affects my relationships. And then number three, God warns about coveting because it affects my future. Or to say it in another way, it sets my heart on things on earth rather than things of heaven. It affects my focus. It puts a barrier between me and my neighbor. It affects my relationships. And it starts a process that will destroy me. It affects my future. Now, if you ask me, these are three really important things for a college student to think about. So let me take a couple minutes to talk about them. Number one, God warns about coveting because it affects my focus. So we have this statement, thou shalt not covet. And then it goes on to talk about different categories of things we might be tempted to covet. It talks about your house and your neighbor's wife and your neighbor's servants, and, your ox, and his ox, and his donkey. And there are, there are really three ideas that this list has in common. That's what's kind of forming this little three-point outline. And the first one is this. All of these things are part of this life. And what that means is that they will all get left behind when I die. That's why we're saying that coveting affects your focus. It sets my heart on things of earth rather than things of heaven. And this is a really big deal for a Christian. Focus is a big deal. And it gives us this list, right? Don't covet your neighbor's house. Now, I know that this might not seem like a big deal to you right now, but I guarantee you, for some of you, in the next few years, this is going to be a trouble spot for you. 
When my wife Faith and I were first married, I was going to seminary in Minneapolis, and in our city they had something that they called the Parade of Homes. You could go from one house to another of new homes. They had all the newest styles. The, the decor was all the newest uh, that you could imagine. It was, it was all uh, new furniture and had all the new gadgets, everything in there. And you'd go from house to house and see all the cool things that maybe you could put if you're building an, a new home. And, uh, and it was interesting. And we finished our little tour and, and uh, we got back to our little house. And I was like, man, that's the last time that we're doing that. When we left home, Faith and I were very content with our little duplex. We, uh, we lived at that time, we got married a few months and moved to go to seminary, and we lived in this, this old, 100-year-old house. Mrs. McDonald, our landlady, lived on the side next to us, and she'd lived there about 60 years, North Minneapolis, and we lived on the other side. 50 years earlier, they'd taken this house that was one big kind of North Minneapolis home, and they'd split it right down the middle. But when they split it down the middle, they didn't support, uh, you know, the, the, the split very well from the cellar, from the basement. And so the whole house uh, leaned like this towards the middle. There was two floors, and each floor kind of leaned like this. There's a reason why I kind of walk around like this now after all these years. And it had, you know, this awesome old great shag carpet, and you guys probably can't even imagine this, but it had this wallpaper that had like velvet on it and all these crazy designs. But it was fine, and it was convenient, and most of all, it was cheap. But you know, we, we went on the parade of homes, and we came home and were like, man, this is a dump. I, I, I wish... What about if we did this? I'm not suggesting that, you know, you get out of here, you can't buy a house, you can't even buy a nice home. I'm not suggesting that Christians shouldn't improve their homes or, or maybe even have the opportunity to buy another home when the resources uh, make themselves available and you've been faithful to God. But listen, I do want to tell you that you better be awful careful that your house... The place that you live, that you don't buy into the false American dream that says that your house has to become your focus. It's your status symbol. And the commandment talks about, you know, your neighbor's wife. This is talking about looking at another uh, woman or another man and wishing he or she were mine. Talks about your neighbor's servants, which actually speaking of coveting things that other people have that make their life easier. Talks about your neighbor's ox and your donkey. To these Old Testament people, an ox or donkey was essential if one was going to make a living, sort of their source of income. So it, it was easy to covet someone else's job, a job that, that makes more money or more prestige. It is... Uh, looking out, listen to me, looking out at someone else's life and saying, I wish that was my life. I wish that was me. And listen, this is a huge issue. And it's so critical that you get a handle on this now because you're going to get out of here and you're going to start your career and you're going to start your family and you're going to immediately feel the pressure to have the right car and to live in the right place, and have all the conveniences that everybody else has, and you're going to end up over your head in debt and struggling to make your bills. And I watch this happen over and over and over. 
And before you even know it, you're going to find yourself living for this world. One of the reasons why I, I love this generation, I believe so much in you guys. And one of the big reasons is because uh, you want your lives to count, I think in a way that's unusual even from generations before. But I'm telling you, you're going to find out that it's going to be so easy to leave here and leave this season of life when you're really thinking about how can my life count. And along the way, this gets you. In subtle ways, it gets you. And it's likely that some of the seeds of this way of thinking are probably developing in your heart even now. 1 John 2, 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Colossians 3, verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Matthew 6, 19 says, Lay up. Uh, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rust, moth nor rust will corrupt and where thieves will not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Listen to me, Christian. Your life here on earth is but a moment of your eternal existence, it is just a blip. And when that slice of time is gone, all of these things will not matter. Your house, your car, your conveniences, your hobbies, your career, your accomplishments. So Jesus says, don't, don't lose your focus. The second thing that all these items listed in verse 17 have in common is they all belong to my, they all belong to my neighbor. Right? God warns about coveting because it affects my relationships. It puts a barrier between me and my neighbor. If you have a problem with coveting, I guarantee you, you have a problem with relationships. Here's how you can tell if you have some of the seeds of this going on in your heart. In the back of your mind, you're always thinking, why does she have that? Why does he get to do that? What's wrong with me that I, I don't deserve this? Have you ever wondered why it is that when you get on Instagram, you have this little pang of jealousy? I mean, why does she have all the fun? Why can't my friends be kind of cool like that? I wish I looked like her. I wish my family was like his family. I wish I had, you know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, someday a husband or a wife or a different husband or wife. No matter wh uh, whether you want it or not, this attitude is going to affect your relationships. And all of a sudden, people you once had healthy relationships with become strained. You don't want to be with them. It's a weird thing. I'm guessing some of you have felt this a desire for something else that's not a part of your life, that it, it actually connects with a, a lack of desire to kind of be around some people that you've hung out with before. I just talked with a guy struggling with this. I mean, a year ago, his life was very different. Number three, God warns about coveting because it affects my future. 
It starts, it starts a process that will destroy me. See, the problem with the desires of the heart is that they are never satisfied. If it's not one thing, it's the next. And that is the most helpless and hopeless feeling of all. When you're coveting something and you finally get what you want and then discover that it's unsatisfying and you're still desperately unhappy. See, the problem is that covetousness is a disease of the heart. And it has nothing to do with your circumstances. Ecclesiastes 6-7 hits the nail on the head. It says, all the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. And I can just tell you guys, from, you know, from 30 years of talking with people, it is amazing how you get to certain seasons of life and think that this is finally going to get it, but it does not satisfy, and it is the most hopeless feeling you can imagine. If you're taking notes, I want you to write just a couple things down that'll tie these three points together. The first thing is this, covetousness is a reflection of your value system. And I want to take a couple, uh, just note a couple things about this. I think this will help us. Covetousness is a reflection of your value system. Now watch this. We covet most what we value most. That's why it's a reflection of your value system. We don't covet our neighbor's garbage. We, we covet his possessions that we value highly. When I was a, first a pastor, someone had graciously given us a car. Don't get too excited about it. It was a little blue Geo Metro. This isn't the exact car, but it looks a lot like this. If I was standing beside it, that car would come up to about my waist. And it was an awesome, uh, miraculous, miracle gift to us. Actually, this car is one of the family memorials in our family that God will always provide for us. I got awesome stories about that. It's another time. But I know this is hard to believe, but as far as I know, nobody ever coveted the Smurf Mobile. That's what our kids called this. I mean, I'm, I'm cruising down Main Street in our town, and I could just see, you know, people looking down on me at the, from their SUVs and their F-150s, and they're like, man, if I could just be that guy cruising in the Geo Smurfmobile. No, we don't covet our neighbor's garbage. We covet the things that we value. The things that we value most. Number two, what we covet most, we will sacrifice to get. And number three, once our heart has coveted something, listen to me, once we've assigned it value as very important, we are willing to sacrifice whatever we value less to get it. Have you ever wondered why, how a mature Christian could just totally disregard the teaching of the word and throw it off to pursue some blatant sin. Why would a deacon in your church jeopardize his family to have a relationship with another woman? The answer is right here, because once your heart has coveted something, once you have assigned it value as very important, then we are willing to sacrifice whatever we value less to get it. It isn't because we don't know what is right. It's our decision to desire the wrong things. 
When a man decides to leave his wife and to leave his family, it's not because he doesn't know that it's wrong. It's because he wants it. He covets something more than he covets what is right. He's willing to sacrifice what is right to get what he wants. And that's why Solomon says so passionately in Proverbs 4.23, he says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. See, that's the problem with coveting. It starts a process that will destroy me. You say, Pastor Gary, what's the antidote for coveting? Well, it's really one big idea, and that idea is contentment. Hey, listen, you guys, you've got to fight for contentment. Contentment and coveting cannot live in the same house. They're mutually exclusive. Contentment teaches us uh, to radically redefine what we think we need to have in order to be happy and fulfilled. And so can I ask you, have you become dissatisfied with God's plan for your life? Are there places in your heart where you're kind of fighting with God because what he's got in store for you is not what you wanted? You thought your college career was going to be this way and instead it's not exactly like that. You were hoping that this next phase of your life would be different. His plan has not been your plan. And listen, even if it's just in some small space, I want to implore you this morning to root it out. Root it out. And instead, redefine your life in terms of contentment. Redefine, radically redefine what we think we need in order to have, in order to be happy and fulfilled. So how do we reject covetousness and learn contentment? Here's five things. Number one, think about what lasts. Number two, thank God for what you have. Number three, don't lose your focus. And then number four, be proactive and intentional in radically redefining what you think you need to have in order to be happy and fulfilled. Psalm 73:25 is a prayer to God, and it says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on this earth. Man, I want that to describe me. And I think you do too. You can have all this world's goods, but give me Jesus. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Would you bow your heads with me? Hey, listen, I'm going to pray in a minute. I'm going to be here for a couple of days, kind of hanging out in the den. If I can help you, I'm available. If you're struggling with this, I'm telling you, root it out. Find a mentor, find a counselor, find a prayer leader. Father, I pray that you'd root out the seeds of covetousness from our hearts. 
restore the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.